Good morning to each of you. Good to have you here. And I hope you're sitting inside of my Thank you. Maybe we need some affirmation sometimes, honey. Well, this morning I have a sermon. I guess we'll call it a sermon. I'm not really sure that's the definition of it, but we'll start with that as a working definition anyway. In the last couple of sermons I preached or shared were about the grace of God and how Jesus dying on the cross and God's grace that we see to humanity, the tremendous motivator for us as Christians to live out the Christian walk, to live the Christian life. And um, along with that, I've been thinking lately about um, the life of Christ, the years that he spent here on earth as being another motivator for us. There was a reason for the incarnation, for Jesus coming down and experiencing the things that this world offers, the pain, the sorrow, the joy even, and just all of life that that we experience, somehow God knew that Jesus wearing skin and walking here on the earth would be a good thing. Um, so we can have a high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities and was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. So I've been thinking about that as uh, for this message. So I actually have a number of, of texts, um, stories. Where do we find most of the stories about Jesus' life? Anybody, can someone answer me? Where would you look for stories about Jesus' life if you were looking in the Bible? Would you look in Romans? The Gospels, that's right, that's right. How many Gospels are there? Some of you younger people, how many Gospels are there? Oh, yeah. Four, okay. Generally, that's what we would think because we have four books that we call the Gospels. But did you know there's only one Gospel? And if you look in your Bibles, at the heading over each of those books, the beginning of those books, it says the gospel according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. There's only one gospel, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the story of Jesus coming here to this world and showing, telling us the good news. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And the more I thought about this and how Jesus' life and teaching, we see him in so many different settings in the Gospels, among so many different kinds of people. We have many different examples for us to follow in his steps. There's a book by Charles Sheldon called In His Steps, a very good, a very good story to read and thought-provoking, too. So as I was thinking about this, I uh, thought about a song, 
number five, Mary, three, and you're That's the song, Footprints of Jesus, or Footsteps of Jesus, or Sweetly Lord, We Have call, Heard Thee Calling. It's uh, different titles and different hymnals. Number 593 is where you'll find that. <clears throat> it's uh, an older song. It was written back in the 1870s by a lady. And in what she did, she has four verses here in this hymn book. There actually are seven verses that she wrote that kind of takes the life of Jesus and lays it out before us as footsteps. And that's why I brought these thoughts this morning. We're going to say these are like Jesus' sandals. I feel like two of them would take some less off and see. Footsteps of Jesus. Come follow me, is our title. <clears throat> you think we could sing this song too? I believe we could. Sweet Lord, have we heard thee calling? Number 593. <clears throat> Sweetly, Lord, have we heard thee calling? Come follow me. And we see where thy footprints falling lead us to thee. Footprints of Jesus that make the pathway glow. We will follow the steps of Jesus where Oh, 
Okay, what does it mean to have Jesus as our example? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus, Jesus often used the phrase, follow me, when he was inviting people to be his disciples. And a disciple is, we know, uh, a servant or a follower, a student of a master. Who hears what his master says and observes what he does and learns to think and act like his master does. In Matthew 16, 4, Jesus says to his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we want to be followers of Jesus, then we should watch how he lived and take up our cross, like Jesus took up his, and that doesn't just mean the cross, it means the, the life that he had toward, along with the suffering or difficulties, whatever life improves for us, we should take that up and follow Jesus. <clears throat> so I have a number, we're going to take the verses of this poem, and I'm going to pull a number of stories from the New Testament, from the Gospels mostly, and I'll just read those stories. I don't have a lot of preaching to do here this morning. This is going to be more of a reading. Let's just pause right here for a word of prayer before we go further into when Jesus began his ministry. Let's bow here. Father, we thank you for the fact that Jesus came to us to die for us. He came here to live for us, too, to show us a good way to live in the dusty streets and roads that he walked in and how he related with people, how he cared about people, how he taught people. Help us to think about those things, too, in our lives and to be like him in our little circle of influence. Bless our time together, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here's the first scripture I want to read when Jesus began his ministry. That's from Matthew chapter 4, and I have a number of verses to read here. So I'll just move right along. You can follow, or you can sit and listen. <clears throat> now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is upon the seacoast in the borders of Zebulon and Nephilim. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulon and the land of Nephilim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region and shadow of death, light is sprung up. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw two other brethren, James, the son of Zebedee, 
And John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the ship and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And the same went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments. And those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, and from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Okay, Jesus started his ministry. And we have quite a bit covered in these verses, and I'm not going to pick that all apart. I want to get terrible, big lessons from each of these passages that are maybe easier for us to remember. What do we learn in this passage? Well, Jesus is the source of hope for all of these people. There was a great light in this dark land. The other thing is, Christ's kingdom is at hand. What does that mean? If something is at hand, you can reach it. It's available. It's close by. And Jesus, the gospel he was preaching was that the kingdom is close by. It's available. And he wants us as followers of him to promote it as we follow him and care about others. That was verse 1 of the song we just sang. Verse 2 is interesting. It talks about leading over the cold, dark mountains. The footsteps of Jesus may lead us there, seeking sheep. That sounds like a parable, doesn't it? A parable about lost sheep. And then the second half of that verse says, or along by Siloam fountains, helping the weak. So first, let's see what Jesus said about seeking sheep. He said in Matthew 18, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. How think ye? If a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and speaketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. What do we learn in that parable, in that story about sheep in the mountains? A couple of things. One is, we're all little in God's sight. This story is told to little people. I think we're all little ones. Jesus cares about us. The second thing I have is that Jesus doesn't give up on people. He keeps seeking them even in the rough terrain that people get themselves into. He cares and he doesn't give up on lost sheep, does he? The third thing is, a found sheep is called for rejoicing. It's a joyful thing to find a lost sheep. 
And you know what? I think we should remind ourselves often of how of the joyfulness of being found. See, sometimes we feel like the 99 were a little left out because they were left and Jesus was rejoicing over the found sheep, the 100 sheep. But the fact is that all those 99 were found once too. So Jesus rejoices over everyone who is found. And we should joyfully remind ourselves of our foundness, that we are found. And Jesus' desire there is that all would find him, not just that one warning far away, but all of us would find him and stay found. Now, what about that Siloam fountain part of the Psalm verse? Well, I saw that and I said, well, of course, that's the paralytic who couldn't make it into the water in time. But wait a minute, that wasn't Siloam. That was the pool of Bethesda, where the man couldn't get into the pool in time to be healed, and Jesus just fixed it, he just healed him. Siloam was the pool that the blind man that was healed was uh, made to see was to go wash in. That was Salon's song. So there's a little bit of artistic privilege going on in song here. Uh, a weak person by Salon Fountain. Well, the blind man was, had a, an eye weakness, didn't he? So that works. A blind man was healed not far from the pool of Salon, and Jesus told him to go watch. Here's the story John 9. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. This is kind of lengthy, but it's a fascinating story. I really enjoy this one. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who's then? Whose fault was this? Was it his parents or this man that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, said Jesus. And when he had said these things, he sat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back. Seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is him. And others said, He's like him. He said, Yes, it's me. I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed. And I received sight. And they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. I was still blind when I left him. <clears throat> so the story continues with this fascinating exchange of Jesus with the religious leaders. So that's communicated from the temple. Uh, there was an interview with the parents and the Pharisees. The, the blind man made a statement of faith. Jesus told the Pharisees that their blindness remained because they didn't acknowledge their need. And here's how it went. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that that man was a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. 
One thing I know that though I was blind, now I see. And they said to him again, What did you do to you? How did you open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? And they reviled him and said, You're his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, Well, this is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he's from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears them. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who is born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, see, Jesus went looking for him. When he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Jesus. I like that story. <clears throat> what do we learn from this story? Jesus is the light of the world. He is the cure for blindness, spiritual blindness and physical blindness. Life challenges are an opportunity to bring Jesus into its situations to demonstrate God's glory. Isn't that a different way to look at life? The trouble we see is an opportunity to bring Jesus into our lives to demonstrate God's glory. That might help us to think about trouble that way sometimes. To be able to see as a wonderful thing, to have spiritual vision leads to life eternal, and sadly for the Pharisees, spiritual darkness is a choice, and that's what they chose to do. They did not believe what Jesus said, so they remained in darkness. Verse three of our psalm. If they leave, talking about Jesus' footsteps again, if they leave through the temple holy, preaching the word, or in the homes of the poor and lowly, serving the Lord, how would Jesus teach us to walk, to be in the temple, or in places of the poor and lowly? I thought of a couple of things. The temple ministry of Jesus was a very public ministry. Um... A number of verses about that. Here's one. Uh, in the day he was teaching in the temple and at night, he, in the, and in the daytime he was teaching in the temple and at night he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. And that's from Luke. And then when he was arrested in the garden, uh, he told the officers, Why are you coming here to arrest me? I was daily in the temple. I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But that the scriptures must be fulfilled, go ahead and do what you're about to do. So Jesus had a very public ministry. Uh, a lot of his days were spent preaching to many, many people. Very important. And the other, the other 
component, the other part of Jesus' ministry was in the homes of the poor and lowly, which I'm taking to be more of a, a personal level of Jesus' interaction with people. Jesus preached publicly, but some of his tenderest moments were spent with individuals like Nicodemus. He wasn't so poor, but he humbly slipped in to see Jesus at night. And the, the story, the longer story that I've chosen to read about Jesus interacting in a humble home, humble setting, is the story of Lazarus. Um, Mary, Mark, and Lazarus, they lived in the town of Bethany. And Jesus often went there uh, to spend some time with them. I don't know what really had happened in Nazareth with Jesus' family structure. You know, we don't hear anything about Joseph anymore. Uh, we do see his mother at the cross. Uh, his brothers were criticizing him at some points, but here at least in Bethany was a home that he enjoyed visiting, um, where I think he could feel some some uh, some of the family structure that he maybe didn't have much of his life, much of his ministry, family ministry. So here's the account of Lazarus's raising that I think gives us some glimpses into that. Uh, humble home where Jesus' footsteps and footprints lead us to. Uh, Jesus was there, and we are often ourselves in humble homes, I believe. Thinking especially of Jesus' interaction with people on a personal level. Now, a certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was the Mary that anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Jesus loved these people. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Here's trouble again that brings God glory. For the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister, Mary, and Lazarus. These things said he, this is a little later, these things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of sleep. And he said, Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. But I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, to the intent that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Then said Thomas, which is called Didymus, unto his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. And when Jesus came, he found that he had lain in the grave four days already. That's a long time for someone to be dead and expect to be raised. Now, Bethany was nigh to Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and many of the Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it to thee. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha saith unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which did come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretly, saying, The Master's come, and is calling for you. And when she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. Now Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews then which were within the house and comforted her when they saw Mary, that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying, She goeth to the grave to weep there. But when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down in the street, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hast been there, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. And said the Jews, Behold, how he loved them. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again groaning in himself, cometh to the grave, and it was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. And many of the Jews which came to Mary had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. That's the story of Jesus and this little family, the humble family that he ate supper with sometimes, how he loved them. And he did on um, Amazing thing there when he raised Lazarus. What can we learn from this story from Jesus' footprints? What footprints does he leave us there? Well, public ministry is important and necessary, but it's often our interactions with people on a personal level that affect them the most. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Just what this dying world needs. Monday night, I was at a visitation for a customer of ours. Unexpected passing. Tuesday, there was a fatal accident just up the road from our place. Many of us have seen the story of Gary Petito, that tragic story. If we live in this world, very soon we'll bump into the sadness of death and dying. But Christians have hope beyond the grave that we need to proclaim publicly and on a personal level. Jesus 
is the life, the resurrection and the life. And to be in a relationship with Jesus gives us hope beyond the grave. Okay, that's three verses too. Now, uh, this song also has three verses that aren't included in our hymnal. Um, I'll read those for you. The song, Footprints of Jesus. Verses 4, 5, and 6 go like this. Go, dear Lord, in thy pathway keeping, we follow thee. Through the gloom of that place of weeping, Gethsemane. Verse 5. If thy way in its sorrows bearing, we go again. Up the slope of the hillside bearing our cross of pain. And then verse 6. By and by through the shining portals, turning our feet, we shall walk with the glad immortals, heaven's golden street. And then verse 7, of course, is the one we do have, talks about Jesus, Jesus and his throne. Well, the, I don't know a lot, I don't know much about the, the author of the song, but thinking of those verses about Gethsemane and about uh, pain in, the, in verse 5 reminded me, I thought it was fitting of how Jesus uh, walk through dark moments. They, they speak to me of maybe the midnight of the soul that we experience sometimes, those dark times, maybe when we're all alone, personal struggles that nobody else may know about. Jesus does know about those because he had his Gethsemane. Remember the disciples that were with him slept? Jesus wrestled alone. Jesus knows about those things. And then his walk through pain uniquely qualifies him to lead us in suffering. His walk up Calvary, uh, his path through that last passing week qualifies him. He understands our pain. He's walking our shoes. And for Peter, we're told, for this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for you, take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. He did no sin. Neither was God found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Jesus knows what pain was like, his life. He knows when we're in trouble. And then the last verse that we have in the song. When at last on high he sees us, our journey done, we will rest where the steps of Jesus end at his throne. And this is a mental picture of Jesus' footsteps leading up to the throne. We're not sure exactly how that all works, um, but that's the mental picture we're going to have here 
In John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And I remember them saying that he, the German would bring out that he's preparing a way, not just a place, but he's making the way for us to get there. And I've always remembered that uh, it's not just a mansion up there somewhere for us. That may be, uh, that would be nice, or a cabin in Glory Land. But he's making, as he left here, he made a way for us to get there where he's going to be. If I go and prepare a place for you or this way for us, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go, you know, in the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And then in Revelations we're told, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and set down my Father in his throne. Footprint of Jesus. Jesus came down here to earth to live life as a man, so he knows how life goes down here. Our lives here should be spent learning from the Master and living out of his life and example in our small kingdoms and our death betrayals. Whatever our lives contain, Jesus has been there first. He knows what we're going through. He's walked in our shoes. So let's follow Jesus' footprints, his example, his words, his teaching, and let's care about the things that Jesus did.